22, and we will cover the whole chapter. We'll read a portion of it. And we'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, the, the words recorded of the early church and how your church grew and advanced even in the, in the heart of wicked countries, wicked nations. I just pray that you give us wisdom and insight, a wisdom far beyond ourselves on how we are to conduct our lives to advance and grow your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. Witness from them, I received letters from, to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. You may be seated. You know, we're coming back again to the book of Acts. And we see a kind of a routine. We see Paul, he's in peril again. You know, the Jews have made accusations against him, saying that he was not following the laws of Moses. And he was teaching the Jews that he was converting to not follow the law. And these are both false accusations. But more accusations came from the Jews in Asia, most likely Ephesus. And these Jews, or some of their cohorts, were continually dogging Paul, trailing Paul when he went from city to city, trying to stir up people against them, against Paul and his companions. And here they bring a charge a very serious charge that he had taken Trophimus into the holy place. And if Trophimus had been taken in there, Trophimus would have been killed. But the crowd of Jews, particularly the unbelieving Jews, they took the bait and they seized Paul. And in the process of beating him, most likely to death, the Roman magistrate interposed for him and stopped. He stopped the beating, he stepped in, and by arresting Paul, he actually saved Paul's life. As they're hauling Paul away, remember that they had to carry him. Either he was beaten so bad or else they had to hold him up so that he couldn't be beaten more. But he wanted to address the crowd. And I believe it was by a miraculous action when Paul held up his hand to the crowd that was trying to beat him to death became silent and actually listened. 
And that's where we are in the text. Paul is going to give his position, his defense of his actions. So let's listen to this defense through the words of Scripture. And I want you to notice Paul is a very educated man, and he gives a very strategic response. Again, to the Jew, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. What he's saying is the culture that he was in, he tried not to make any offense to that culture as long as he stayed within the bounds of not sinning. And we do have freedoms. We have a lot of freedoms as believers. But he starts and he gives them a formal greeting of their language, which is a good way to start. A formal greeting of their culture. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Again, that was how you would address fellow Jews. And when they heard this, heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So not as he addressing them formally, but he's doing it in their own language. So they're going to give him an ear. So far, so good. And Paul gives his Jewish history, how he was a Jew, how he was educated. But I'm thinking many people already knew this, knew of him. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are doing, are this day. So Paul's even buttering him up. He's saying, you know, you guys are zealous for God just as I was. He's relating to him that he is a Jew. And Paul has excellent, excellent credentials. And he uses them. Brought up at the feet of Galileo. Galileo was the most famous Jewish scholar and teacher. And everybody would know that. It's like us knowing about George Washington. Now maybe in the schools today, our kids might not learn about him, but for the most part, for most of our history, everybody would know who George Washington is. And we know that Paul was a master student of Gamaliel, and also that Paul lived out his faith. Paul was a man of action. And by his own testimony, his own words, he tells how he persecuted the people of the way, the Christians. And Paul persecuted them unmercifully. He tells us, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So I think by now, you know, especially these Jews that hated the way, they're probably saying, hey, this is our guy. We like this guy. He's telling them who he was. But Paul also knows that the 
according to the law, you need two or three witnesses to verify your testimony, and he brings witnesses in. As a high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brethren, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. This would be recorded that Paul received letters. Also, there may very well be the elders on that in the Sanhedrin still serving who signed those letters. So this is a powerful testimony. He's demonstrating that he understands the law. He obeyed the law. He followed the elders, the Sanhedrin, and their commands. He took it serious. He was zealous for the laws of God. But then he goes into his personal testimony, what changed him. And this is a lesson for us. Our personal testimony is important. God changed our lives, transformed our lives from before we were believers until we are believers. We need to be transparent that we were sinners, guilty, that God changed us. It gives hope for others who are sinners and sinners yet that God can take people and use them who have a terrible past for many people, sinful past. Paul gives his testimony. As I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Paul is describing a supernatural event, a traumatic event. All conversions are supernatural. When we become new creatures, Paul's is more dramatic than most. But he's telling how he was transformed and changed. There's a verse in here that should bring great comfort to all believers. And that is, And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. When we are tied and bound to the Holy Spirit, and we go through trials or persecutions or difficulties, people hating us, we are never alone. They are persecuting our God right along with us. 
They are persecuting Jesus. It's an attack on him as well as us. When we are proclaiming God's word, his truth, or rebuking people biblically according to God's word, and are either physically assaulted, verbally assaulted, they are assaulting God as well. God has our backs. Yes, we may be injured. We may even die. Some people are martyred. It does not mean our God is separate from us. He is there with us. It does mean, though, justice will be served, either on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity. We do not have to concern ourselves. We do what we can to get justice, but it will be served. Because they are assaulting our God when they assault us and his church. But also we see in these verses, God will always bring other believers to walk alongside us, to help us, to assist us. God's plan is being carried out. He is orchestrating it. There are no coincidences. God doesn't want a bunch of lone rangers running around with silver bullets trying to do his work. It's his church, the community, the many believers that make up many parts of the body all working together. And God brings them together. So we continue on in verse 10. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone, and what you have seen of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. On his name. What we see here is God is working out his plan to advance his church. He's bringing Paul to Ananias, and Ananias is a devout believer. He will teach Paul. He will instruct Paul what to do next. But again, Paul's testimony is important. His admission of sinning persecuting the church of Jesus Christ to the death. He stood there when Stephen was stoned, holding the coats. He wanted the death of God's church as well as the death of the people that were participating in it. Grievous, grievous sins, yet he is forgiven. He is forgiven and he becomes an apostle to the church. Our God is a forgiving God. But our testimony is important. Our lives are important how we live it. Ananias, what did he say about him? A good man, a devout man according to the law. 
well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. Ananias was a good man. He was a good believer. He was an honest man. His reputation was of an upright person, which all believers should have as a person. Our daily walk matters. People are watching you continually. Our walk and our continual walk, the persistence of our walk and our faith matters. People are watching. It's a testimony to how much we love our God. Take it serious. Just by being faithful to God, you are influencing others. And so far, the crowd is with Paul. They're tolerating. Some may even be cheering him on. You know, this guy, he persecuted the way. He hasn't offended their riotous souls as of yet. Remember, these people are right on the edge. They are just a few minutes earlier trying to kill Paul, trying to beat him to death. He goes on and he speaks of events that happened about three years after his conversion because he was trained, he was maturing. Then he returned to Jerusalem as a mature believer looking for his personal commission from God, seeking out what God had planned for him. But he took the steps to understand the Christian way, which all of us must do. Be around believers, educate ourselves, learn from others, so we can be mature, efficient Christians. Seek out the plan that God has for each one of us in advance. The door that he wants us to go through as individuals. He tells them, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of, out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, had been shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You know, this is the third time in the book of Acts that Paul's life's testimony is given. Once it's given by Luke, the third person, twice by Paul here, and then he'll give it to the Gentiles. But it demonstrates the importance of Paul's conversion to be accepted as an apostle, the writer of the books. But also it shows how when he's trying to win souls, his testimony matters, how God can change people transform people. But also we see here where God is protecting Paul for a season. At that time, God was telling them, get out of Jerusalem. They will not listen to your testimony. 
Your job is not here, Paul. Your job is to go to the Gentiles now. Later on, when, when this is occurring, he will be a testimony to the Jews in Jerusalem. But right now it's to the Gentiles and the Jews in the disbursement. Again, we all have works to do. Those works change over time. It's all to advance God's kingdom, but it may be to different people and in different places. You know, thus far, you know, Paul had times of persecution, many persecutions, but he had times of peace as well. And now he'd be entering into another time of persecution, and as far as we can tell, that persecution would persist till his death, where he'd be a, a prisoner until his death now. But Paul is addressing these Jews now. The time frame is getting closer to closer to 70 A.D. when the Jerusalem would be destroyed. These Jews would be destroyed. And their hatred toward him now just verifies why their nation would be destroyed, the fullness of their sin. And God completely destroys Jerusalem and the people in it. But up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the Jews could not tolerate that Paul said, he would go to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Gentiles. They could not tolerate that Samaritans and Gentiles would be accepted into the kingdom of God. The fullness of their sin, the blindness of their hearts was nearly complete. This is the most violent reaction you can get. They were taking off their cloaks. That was symbolizing, we're ready to get the rocks, Paul. Remember when Paul said he guarded the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen? You ever try and throw a baseball bat with a winter or a baseball with a winter coat on? These guys there taking their cloaks off. They wanted to be ready to throw stones to stone Paul. They're tossing dust up in the air to symbolize they're ready to kill him. Again, they could not get over their prejudice against the Gentiles and Samaritans. They wanted Paul dead, but the Roman official stepped in again, and he took Paul back into the barracks. He interposed and saved Paul's life again. God does use wicked men to advance his kingdom, to preserve his saints. The tribune, now remember, this tribune, he's over a thousand men. This is a big shot. A lot of responsibility. Ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. 
So these Jews wanted to act unlawfully and stone a man who did not have a trial. And it shows how much more wicked they were even when the time when Jesus was there. At least there they had a fake, a mock trial. Here they were saying, no, we're just going to kill him. Paul is not out of peril because now this Roman official wants to flog him, punish him without a trial. Now to understand this flogging, this would be the same type of flogging Jesus received. A whip with various leather cords hanging out and at the end of the cords would be bits of bone, stone, metal. It was designed to rip the flesh and muscle right off of a person. So here this Roman official is saying, we're going to tear you apart with this whip because we want to see what's going on. Not knowing if he's guilty or innocent or anything. Many people died from being flogged. Most were scarred or crippled for life because it would cut tendons and nerves. Saints, the, de- the evil have no depths to their cruelty. A culture that is devoid of God's influence and His law has absolutely no depths to their cruelty. Just the act of crucifixion, which many people endured under the Romans. Hanging on a cross for three or four days. A slow death. No justice if you weren't a Roman citizen. Just flog them. Maybe we'll get an answer. We'll beat it out of them. But the Jews weren't any better. They were trying to kill them a few minutes ago without a trial. We in America cannot imagine how wicked the world can be in a culture devoid of Christianity. The depths of atrocity and the depths of evil. We're fortunate our Christian roots run deep, but they are being eroded. I've spoken with Peter Hammond years ago several times and the atrocities that he has seen in a culture that is completely devoid of Christianity and I can't even mention here because of the children what they do to people. We cannot imagine the depths of cruelty when God's law is devoid of influence in a society. So Paul is out of the frying pan, but he's right in the fire. However, God has been working out in Paul's life, even from his youth, in preparation for this very moment. In a few words, Paul sends these torturers into a panic. 
the people who are going to flog him. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by him, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Remember, this tribune is in charge of a thousand men. The centurion, he's over a hundred. Both of these guys are now afraid, and rightfully so. It's illegal at that time to even bind a Roman citizen. They knew they were in hot water already, and had they flogged him, they both probably would have lost their position, if not their lives. To gain Roman citizenship, you had to be of some service to Rome. So in the past, either Paul's father or grandfather either served in a battle for the Romans or did something to advance the Roman hierarchy. And they were awarded citizenship so any of their children would be citizens after that, have Roman citizenship. Very desired to have, particularly in that way. Some scholars say it may have come because of where he was born. Some argue against that. We do know Whichever way, it was very beneficial. And later on, as in all governments, people sought it. So corrupt officials do what? They take bribes and get it for people. And that's what this tribune says. Hey, I paid a bunch of money to get my citizenship. Basically what he was saying, he was bribing the officials to get his citizenship. But to have it natural to be born was far more desirable. Again, they could have been punished themselves just for binding Paul. You know, the wicked understand one thing. Money, power, three things actually. If their own head is on the chopping block, Notice the about face when they thought, oh man, we're going to get in trouble. Lose our positions, lose our money, maybe even lose our freedom or our life. But also notice one other thing, even in this wicked Roman culture. When they use God's law, it is justly used. God's law says you have a trial. You have witnesses. You have witnesses, counter-witnesses. You can appeal to a higher court. 
Even the wicked cultures, if they do things in, with, according to God's word, it's advancing the culture. And the Romans did give much of the culture. God says to subdue the earth, take dominion over it. Even through a wicked culture, some of the roads that the Romans built are still being used. The wisdom and marvel of the aqueducts transferring water miles away. Ingenious. God uses even the wicked to advance his kingdom. But we also see in here when a culture is in decline, one of the symptoms, one of the symptoms is there's no justice or unequal justice. We see it in the Jewish law. They were not they were breaking the law and punishing Paul and beating him, denying him a trial. That's a demonstration of a nation in decline, lawlessness. And again, the Jewish nation at that time was getting closer and closer to A.D. 70. This was probably about A.D. 60, 61, 62 maybe. And God is patient. God is patient. He waits to see if people repent. When that fullness of sin comes, destruction comes. The Roman Empire would not last, and part of it is because of this two-tiered justice system. If you're not a Roman citizen, they did whatever they wanted to you. People in their hearts understand justice. It's given to them by God. Where do you think we stand as a nation today when it comes to fair justice? Fairness. Is there justice if you're driving in Milwaukee and these thugs come up to you every hour of every day, 24 every day, put a gun in your face and steal your car? Many of these guys have been brought in time and time again and they let them go. Is that justice? Is it justice out on the West Coast where people can walk into a person's store and if they don't steal over $1,000 worth of stuff, they can't hold them, they can't arrest them, the police won't even come? Or if you have rioters for your burned down buildings, burn out Madison, burn out either Kenosha or Racine, destroy businesses, and they're not arrested, the officials stand by and let it happen, is that justice? I talked to a guy from Madison the other day, and he said, State Street, still many empty stores, but who would want to move in? If they know 10 years later, 5 years later, you build a business, stick your heart and soul into it, and the rioters come and the police are told to stand down. Not to do anything. When you see lawlessness or people being 
treated unjustly or a two-tier system where some are held, others are not because of political reasons. It's a decline of a nation. Walgreens pulled their stores out of the, many of the states in the western part of the country. So who does that hurt? It hurts the local people. Now where do they go to get to their, their uh, pharmaceuticals? The more and more business pull out, the lawlessness leads to the decline of taking dominion. So we must be praying for our nation because we see this lawlessness here. When murderers and rapists are let out to continue their crimes, continue their shootings, the decline of a nation. And we see that in many of our major cities. It's not that they don't catch the criminals. It's they catch them and they let them go. They don't punish them. But for now, these Romans, like our officials, understand that it might affect them They will back off. And that is the church's responsibility to claim that justice must be served. Wicked judges, wicked rulers must be removed. It says to justify the wicked and to condemn the righteous. It's both an abomination to God. God will have his vengeance. God will have his justice. So we see these Romans, you know, they back off from Paul. They bounce them right back to the Jews because now they don't know what to do. But the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So now he's, Paul's before these people who are just about to kill him to try and bring justice. We'll have to wait till the next sermon to see what happens there, but just to throw a teaser out, the high priest is Ananias, and history records him as a complete thug, embezzling, murdering thug. And he's behind everything. So do you think there'll be a fair trial? It'll be about as as fair as the January 6th people are getting. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that as we look at the culture and the nations and the decline of nations, the injustice, that we see that in ourselves, in our nation, And that our burden should always be to cry out for justice. Justice to whether the alien in the land, as God's word commands, he must not be treated different. But God is saying there must be one tier of justice. Truth. And all our judges the same on truth with witnesses. 
teach that to return to our nation. Help us to be truth bearers, Lord, and help us to support and try to get elected people who will stand for that truth. Teach us to mature. Teach us to influence the culture. In Jesus' name.